Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, entitled The Myth of Sisyphus. Uh, I think I was probably right about the meaning of that title. I mean, this is a kind of episode about the search for Rye. I mean, that seemed pretty obvious mm-hmm. in retrospect. Uh, what'd you think of the episode? Well, that's great. I thought Fargo won the week. You know, we talked about how mm. Leftovers and Fargo has been so good. I felt like, uh, you know, Leftovers took a breath this this week and Fargo... Walking Dead took a shit. Walk, Walking <laughs> Dead shit, shit to bed and then uh, uh, Fargo just punched them both in the mouth. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I feel like Leftovers and Fargo were about about even this week. Really? Like, I... There are some parts of this episode that I freaking love. Like For me, Lou the, the Lou, Lou showdowns, yeah. his, his high noon day, as he says, yeah. it was just spectacular. It was. And it it's was. very rare that you see that kind of bravado from a person, and it just feels kind of organic. Like, yeah, I believe this guy uh-huh. who served on a swift boat in the Brownwater Navy in Vietnam and has seen some shit would not be intimidated by these guys. Like, yeah. Like yeah. in the same way that like Ted Danson, his uh, sheriff, uh, uh, God damn it, I can never remember the. Uh, it's not Foster, Larson, his, Sheriff Larson. His name, yeah, yeah. Uh, his sheriff Larson was brave, but rattled. Lou was brave, and I, man, it it feels like there's ice water in his veins. Yeah. So I, I thought that impressed. was just spectacular, and. Uh, I, I, I'm very surprised that you're not all over it. So what, what were the parts that I am all are over driving, it. driving you crazy? Apparently, well, so, so th- there are parts that are driving me crazy. You just still it's don't just like, like the rye search. I, I'm not super into the rye search cause I know they can't find him. Uh, there's a lot of focus on skip. But isn't this that episode, itself interesting? And I'm kind of like, meh, I don't really care for skip all that much. Well, good news on that. Yeah. Not going to have to, <laughs> not going to have to deal with skip much more. Uh, it's not that I think anything was bad. I think everything was good, mm. and there were parts that were great. But after discussing the leftovers on the podcast, I have a greater appreciation for that episode. Mm. Um, maybe I'll turn around by the end of this episode and go, you know what? After talking about Fargo for an hour, mm-hmm. I freaking you know, love this episode. We we really missed a big deal on the whole Babylon connection with the leftovers cast. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, with I, handwriting, I, I, sure. Yeah. Oh, man. But once once a couple of people emailed me that, my mind literally blown. But this isn't the Leftovers no. podcast. So. No, it's not. Uh, but I, yeah, I just I just thought that for inter- sheer entertainment and, and quality, and every single time we get to meet someone and get to know them better, like, you know, we got a little bit more Hansi this episode. We got a little bit more uh, Simone, which is Dodd's daughter. But I didn't... So I don't feel like I got anything meaningful on Hansi. Really? Like, I don't understand the beginning with the rabbit. I don't think you're supposed to yet. But okay. you then, did get then stuff from Then I don't feel him. like I got anything more of him. Ah. Like, if I don't understand it, what did I get? You got a puzzle piece. And yours should be but looking... It's completely is it a corner? Out of is it an edge? Is it in the middle? Well, it's the middle. Just put it to the side. Until... But, but if that piece is completely out of context, it doesn't mean anything yet. I... But I guess I... I'll only be disappointed if uh, at the end of the season I'm left with an extra piece. <laughs> that's the thing. Like so I'm, I'm not going to get all excited about a piece that I don't even know fits. That's, yet. that's I guess so. that's the that's one of the core differences in in how you and I approach the media. Then because I, I guess so. I hold on this like ooh, look at this weird thing with him in <laughs> reservation, and there's this magician with the white rabbit, and then I refuse to do that. So I'm not let down at ah. the end when they never connect the dots. But. Ah. I'm always got my chin out <laughs> ready for the haymaker. Um but no, I I thought that was was all pretty amazing. In fact, um 
I, man, I, I always thought like the slip through the the ice hole in the lake was the ch- most chilling scene of last season's Fargo. Yeah. Uh, would you rather be slipped in a hole in the ice in a lake or buried in hot pitch? <laughs> I think maybe the ice hole. Honestly, I, like I want the hypothermia <laughs> and numbness that comes with uh-huh. the freezing cold water. I think we debated this last season, like you know, what's your personal terriblest ways to die? And I think that like, was high up there. One yeah. A is like probably burning to death, and one B is drowning <laughs> to death uh-huh. or drowning to death. Um, so this is like really you pick your poison. But yeah, with the hot asphalt, it's like you're probably the heat probably isn't going to kill you right away so like you're probably, sitting there realizing what's going on but it's super painful and you're being slowly smothered and they also made it clear after he got covered up like he was still wiggling around down there yeah but he'll be no thank you no that's horrifying <laughs> and the way he took it so bloodlessly too I, man so that's why i hate skip right like i get it skip is skip is the beginning of season one lester he's the jerry lundegaard sure. he's the guy who just gets rolled over constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I don't. I don't want. <laughs> we need to come up with official. Bald I didn't move. want him to get that. Like official bald move rules. Like rule number one: you never talk to the cops. Mm-hmm. Rule number two: if you're shot in some kind of mass shooting, you play dead. Yep. Rule number three: if someone asks you to get in the fucking hole, you don't get in the hole. You take your chances. Once and you run. Once you get in the hole, yeah. Once you get in the hole, you're not getting out of it. Yeah, and at you know maybe you can antagonize them into giving you a quick death. Yeah, you you don't you don't get me in that hole without no, physical no uh, physically forcing me in there. No, so that's rule official. This is going to be like the rules of acquisition yeah. on on the Ferengi. Don't get in the hole. After 15 years, we'll have an elaborate rules <laughs> of, of, of life advice to, to live by. Uh-huh. Those are some three. Those are three solid ones. Never get in the hole. Yep. Play dead. Now those. Those are actually there, there's there, there's that's like a Venn diagram, like you know playing dead versus never getting in the hole. Hmm. Where do those overlap? I don't know. I feel like, like once you're in the hole, if if you don't get hot asphalt poured on you, play dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you get in the hole and they shoot you, uh huh, play dead. Okay. Because even if you're buried, maybe you can pull a with a shallow grave like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a foot of you dirt. You can pull on a kill bill and get out of there. Sure. But uh, with the hot cement or the hot pitch or whatever it is, the blacktop. Yeah. No don't, good. Don't get in the hole. Uh, what are we going to talk about in this this episode? Uh, let's. I, I don't know what. I don't want to talk too much about the beginning because I don't understand it, frankly. But I don't Hansi, either. Um, why he's looking at this rabbit trick and why he's the only one not applauding, and then later why he eats the heart out of a rabbit, like. I don't know what all that adds up to. There's probably some Native American mysticism around the eating of the heart. Or maybe the heart is really delicious. I imagine... Who knows? With he wild game, it raw. it's got to be loaded parasites, though. Pro- yeah. Eating a raw rabbit's heart, maybe not the best idea. But. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's... I don't know. He's I, I, I would believe that he's anywhere between the age of 35 and 59. <laughs> okay. You know? Uh-huh. Like sure. sometimes I look and see he kind of looks young, and then sometimes I'm like, no, he's well. Eating hearts keeps you young. He's seen many winters. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know all about that from Indiana Jones. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, can we talk about the family dynamic here? Since we don't want to touch the uh, reservation magic show. Okay. What do you think about these underlings? I I don't know if th- this is the distribution that we heard so much about, or these are just kind of like their. Uh, you know, lieutenants. Oh, oh, the guys are, are sitting are, down are, with these. The they're Clemenses, kind of. I feel like that's what they are. They're kind of the underbosses. 
Yeah, yeah, they've got to be. They have their own families and whatnot, but they're mm-hmm. subs- they owe allegiance to Otto here. Um, and and they owe allegiance by some sort of blood. Yeah, that was, blood that was shed generations. Maybe ago. even the Weimar Republic. Who knows? Maybe, maybe so. Um, and that's so. I can't tell if they're offering unqualified support here because the first guy, he's like, look, I understand that. You know, we've got these these ties to bind, blah, blah, blah. And he starts kind of like equivocating. And then the second guy that speaks up, mm-hmm. who's on, I guess, the left, uh, he says, look, you know, we're not going to make the first move. But if these guys come at you, we're going to cut their fucking nose off. Yeah. That seems very 100% behind them support. That's concrete, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. If you take the, the two performances in balance, I feel like that maybe well, I get the Gerhards are not as solid in their position as they think. Yeah, so these these three guys I I get are in, working independently, right? Yeah. Like, so they're they're part of this operation, but each of them has control over their section. They're part of the operation. So one of them could back them up, the other two could not, or two of them could back them up. Whatever. No, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like they need to all be completely on board with this. Hmm. So maybe they'll have two thirds of support, or yeah, one third that's, of support? that's what I'm thinking. Okay, like one of these, and and it's also interesting, like when they say, you know what, we're not going to make the first move. The entire time that shot is lingering on Dodd and in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to imagine that Dodd is probably going to try to get someone to make the first move. Hmm. That's that's my guess, given the the language of cinema there. Yeah, and I thought because they focus on Dodd and his mom Floyd both, and I thought they both seemed satisfied by the answer. So. See, I thought Dodd was not satisfied. Really? By that. Or, or he was satisfied in that he can now use this to his advantage. Mm. Okay. Uh, he can force a scenario by which they will help them out. Uh, but also, like, Fargo has a way of destroying best laid plans, right? Certainly. Like, <laughs> he may want to try to start this war, but it might not go how he thinks it will. And it probably won't go that way. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I, I continue to love the distinct different feels between the culture of the kansas city mafia yeah. and the fargo syndicate oh like yeah. how freaking corporate like you're even talking like well research indicates and you got to listen to the market and plus it's really fascinating i don't totally. think i've seen this particular type of crime family before i mean that goes on both sides honestly yeah and they're talking about like you know finding rye and getting leverage over floyd and maybe not have to buy a bunch of bullets i think they said Mm -hmm. buy a bunch of extra bullets like this guy's all business right yeah he's not gonna get his hands dirty he's not yeah that kind of muscle and i guess i have seen the gerhards before they're very much in the mold of the godfather yeah but they just have a completely different look and feel to them but structurally they're pretty much the same sure Uh, what do we, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about Lou's field trip to Fargo. First of all, we met Ben Schmidt and neither of us realized until probably this morning that he was in season one of Fargo. Yeah. And if you're like, what the fuck? Uh, so he bent Lieutenant Ben Schmidt was the, uh, was serving on the Duluth police department. That's, and he was the commanding officer of Gus Grimley. So Gus Colin uh hank's character Hmm. and uh there's actually a scene when lou first meets uh gus and he goes uh is there a lieutenant ben schmidt up there i used to have some dealings with him and uh gus confirms yep he's my boss he's like kind of a prick (laughs) so 
we, you know, I don't think Lou had an impression when he showed up, but he quickly at the end, by the end of this episode, realizes that this guy, if not in the pocket yeah. of the Fargo bosses, at least is terrified to the point that he's not going to get any real police work out of him. No, no. I mean, this guy, you can, so there's that scene where they're sitting in the lobby, uh-huh. like whatever this place is. and That's the, they're talking. outside the judge's chambers. Yeah. Uh, and forensics is in there doing their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that scene, like he brings up, you know, Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers, and this guy says, mm, "I don't know them," but I get the distinct impression that he does, in fact, recognize those names at least, possibly, yeah, and is kind of shitting his pants at that point. <laughs> well, and and I wasn't sure the first time I watched it when we they go to shake down Skip. Mm-hmm. whether he was shying off because that's good police work. Like, look, man, this case, this judge could have 100 cases. Yeah. You can't shake down every single squirrely guy who's got a tax problem that shows up. That's probably half the people. Um, and he could be anxious because he needs his money and he wants to do that. And I was like, maybe that's good, solid police work. Yeah, I don't think so. N- yeah, by the time of the episode, I got a clear picture of Ben. Okay. And then All now right. that I know he's the guy who is trying to wave you know, Gus off of his investigations and kind of be an obstructionist and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. He totally seems like he knows where his, his, his bread's buttered. And that, that scene, that same one I was talking about before, uh, there are so many great lines in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not saying your life would be easier if it were your own prints on the gun, but, but those are the lines along which you should be thinking. And that's the thing. Like, I and don't, then the, the guy who got 19 bullets in the head. Well, we've talked about. What I don't does that know, do to a if head? You're, if you're a cop in a town that's owned by a crime family, yeah, like, we talked yeah. about this in the bridge. We talked about this when we were talking about Godfather. I'm not even sure. And we we just got done talking about it in regards to the uh, uh, what was the Colombian Narcos? The Narcos. Yeah. I don't know what the re- the right play. I mean, God bless everyone that stands up and and says no more, even as their heads are exploding. Uh huh. But I don't know if I I don't know if I I want to say think that I'd be Lou, but yeah, there's so, a pretty good chance I'd do the math and be a bin. You know, that, it's a really good question because I mean, you can stand your ground, and the law, the badge does give you some protection in this right? country. Yeah, yes, uh, and but but you might personally pay a price for that. You yeah. might be killed personally, even if later on the law says, fuck this, we're going to roll in yeah, and take if, them out. If 90% of the police department is is on the dole and you're the one guy kicking at the goads and you get killed, maybe the yeah. officers are the ones yeah. killing you or they're actively covering up and they're thinking, what an idiot. Or they're too afraid to do anything about sure. it. Sure. No, it's it's super interesting, the dynamics here and having an outsider who seems like he's got, you know, a steel rod in his spine. Hell yeah. And something that these... Hell yeah, Lou. Like, like it's, <laughs> it's something that neither the Mikes of the world or the Gerhards have kind of encountered before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get a small taste of it with Dan last mm. episode, but... Mm-hmm. This episode is a whole nother level. I mean, I get the impression that Dan probably could be intimidated if if the situation were You're intimidating talking about enough. Sheriff Larson? Yeah. Is that his first name, Dan? I, I think that's his first uh, name. Yeah. I don't know. Whereas Lou, I don't think he would be intimidated by anything. No, I mean, that's... He's, he's, in, he's under insurmountable odds at this Gerhardt meeting. And, like, he's not suicide. Like, I've seen cops with this kind of swagger, like, uh, you know, season one true detective, the McConaughey's of the world, where he's just suicidal. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like, Lou has reasons. He doesn't want to die. He wants to make sure. it home to his wife. He doesn't want Molly to be a complete orphan. But he's also, he's, 
I'm police, goddammit, and you're going to answer my questions. And there's a little bit of like... <laughs> I, I have think, a gun, too. It works. I think I read this in uh, Sepinwall's review of the episode, but there, there's also like this, I'm the law, and I kind of need to uphold the idea of the law, like yeah. the power of the law. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you may... You you can't intimidate me because the law is bigger than you, and right. I have to show you that. Yeah, which there, is dangerous for for an individual. So I thought I was onto something, and I'm not sure that I'm not. <laughs> I'm just not so sure that I'm not onto something. What do you mean? So Molly was watching television, and she's watching Operations Eagle, Eagle's Nest, which yeah, yeah. is you know the Eagle's Nest was where that's the Nazi hideout where they thought Adolf might be at the end of World War Two. Yeah. Um. And she's watching this old war movie about that. And there was, it looked like prominent Nazi memorabilia hanging in the Gearhart's den. But then it has a big G in the middle of it. And I'm, I remember they're from the Weimar Republic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that actually, like, a lot of what we call Nazi paraphernalia was actually just German military paraphernalia. Yeah, yeah. It didn't necessarily. You know, all the eagles and all that shit. I mean, yeah, the swastika, sure. <laughs> yeah. The death's heads and the SS lightning bolts. Yes, that's Nazi. But the mm. Iron Cross and the Maltese Falcons and stuff like that, I'm not sure if that's the proper term for it. That So that could have just been like an old family heirloom from before World War II. Yeah. No, it's interesting also that, you know, Adolf Hitler is specifically mentioned in this yes, episode. Yes, that's the other connection. But then I'm like, ah, so it's Nazi-ish memorabilia that's hanging all over the walls and i don't know what the connection is to that but yeah i'm not sure because what came after adolf hitler an economic powerhouse <laughs> like, mm. yeah. you know germans are pretty much uh they're one of the top dogs in the eu now solid citizens yeah i'm trying to think of like i don't know what their place in the world was in the 70s when this takes place but well, and we've also we started making other connections before the podcast about like we met the Fargo crime syndicate last season mm, yeah. uh, when they're pounding fish with hammers and eating at Chinese restaurants with lobster bibs and whatnot. And it didn't seem like it's the Gerhards. I don't think so. But it also sure as shit didn't feel like the Kansas City Mafia. Yeah. So it could be that this is a, you know, Pyrrhic victory where no one no one emerges alive. Yeah, like that's that's what I'm wondering. Like, have we actually seen the Sioux Falls massacre? No, clearly not. I think it's got to be bigger than three people in a diner, right? Oh no, I mean that doesn't come. When Lou said he said if you stacked all the bodies high, you could you could climb to a second story. Uh, when he meets Lorne, that's right. That's so right. That's a lot of bodies. It's a lot of bodies. That's a good and, good number of bodies. And if you say, okay, look at how many people are on the Gerhardt estate here. Uh, look at. Just the small arm of muscle they've sent up from Kansas City. That number of bodies starts to get you to a second story. Sure, sure. Uh, what did you think of Simone? We got to uh, a, a little bit more to her this episode. Yeah, I like to see her. Uh, I like the way that she used, you know, the things at her disposal to, uh-huh. like, seduction and stuff like that to start to get a job done. Sure. Even though no one recognizes, hey, she actually did get this freaking job done. Her dad's an asshole. No, her dad's a total asshole. Yeah. I will say that I feel of all the grandchildren of Otto we've met so far, she seems the most impressive. Certainly. Yeah. And she's also got the biggest chip on her shoulder, it seems like, because her dad's mm-hmm. not, you know, he's got this full 
blown fitter on the roof like why did i was i cursed with all these daughters and, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i get he says like four daughters i think yeah three of which i don't think we've seen anything of it's one shy of tavia i think maybe he did before <laughs> it's been a long time since i've seen fiddler okay but no i i don't know it's good to see her doing something other than just sitting on the kitchen sink right yeah yeah and also you think you look at her grandma and you think that this is a woman who is capable of being at least that impressive as she matures and gets more experience. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. actually thought she acquitted herself. Well, and again, Skip is a lightweight, and yes, she had Hansi <laughs> backing her up, uh-huh. but I thought she was pretty intimidating. She could have got him in that hole. Hell herself. yeah, she could. Well, she uh, didn't need the intimidation yeah, of Hansi. Skip? Yeah. Sure. Skip, definitely. Sure. But, you know, having Hansi there to back you up is never a bad thing. But no, I I thought she was super impressive, and I can't wait to see. Also, there's lots of signs that you know, they've been struggling for a long time. Like, you know, Hansi's pretty dismissive about her scoring weed because her dad's terrified mm-hmm. all the local dealers by saying he's they're going to get the axe if they sell to her. Yet she rolls up a joint and tries to smoke it right in front of her dad's face at the yeah. end of the episode. So she's kind of been running her own games and capers underneath her dad's nose this whole time. Yeah, I wonder if maybe she was getting her stuff from Rye. Like, there's no way they're going to axe Rye. It, yeah, so Rye, surely. Yeah, you're right. He She could have just lifted a joint off of... Now, I don't know what Hansi would do. He's yeah. not going to kill Rye. He's no, not going to no, kill no, one no, of no, the no. I'm saying, like, if she's flouncing around this apartment, you know, mm-hmm. shaking down Rye's stuff for drugs, I don't know what he would... <laughs> I, I guess he wouldn't lay hands on her. He'd probably just tell her dad. Yeah, yeah. That's the smart play. Yeah. Because uh, you lay hands on her, then maybe yeah. Dodd gets pissed. I don't know. Did you think that she was trying to get something started with her and Hanzi? And did you think that maybe there's a something between uh, Hanzi and, and, and her that's already there? I did get the distinct impression when they're talking in the kitchen right before he eats the heart out of a rabbit. That, yeah, she's kind of sending a little bit of vibes his way. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's completely he's, ignoring he can, it. He, or I just can't read. I keep no read on this guy whatsoever. She tries it. She For the briefest of moments, she tries it and then realizes, oh, this isn't going to work. And then tells him where the place is. Like, mm-hmm. I'll take you there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's one of the things that we're supposed to get from the magician scene is the fact that he's not uh, he just doesn't get affected by anything he's petting his rabbit and having this memory of his yeah. childhood he doesn't he's the one kid that doesn't applaud at the magic and then he breaks this rabbit neck that he's been petting this whole time uh-huh. so he's just a scary individual okay i like it uh we got the scene about you know rise now an official suspect for the murder of this judge because they got a print off of him and now he's got the wanted posters up uh, first yeah. stop he makes, Sheriff Larson goes to the beauty salon where uh, Betsy is getting her hair cut. Mm-hmm. And Peggy is going to Life Spring, which is exciting her potentially predatory lesbian boss. <laughs> uh, uh, and Betsy wh- whips out this whole theory about how these people died. And, uh, you know, someone got ran over and it's this bystander, which has Peggy shit in her pants. There's an, also a direct quote from Fargo. The La- Sheriff Larson says to kill all these people and for what a little money. That's a hmm. Marge Marge Gunderson quote. Okay, um, I thought I thought Kirsten Dunst was awesome in this scene. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's playing panicked and yet doesn't doesn't really give anything away. 
I'm having a hard time, and I I don't I'm I don't know if I can separate the fact I just have a lot of antipathy towards this character. Like I just don't like her. I think she's evil. Sure, and I don't like what she's doing to Ed, poor dumb Ed. Uh huh. Um, but that just might be her really selling the performance, or it might just be yeah. the character. But I find myself not liking her and what she's doing on screen. But again, I don't know if that's because yeah, yeah. it's not good. That's understandable. Yeah, I think I just don't like her. Um. <laughs> Now, Sheriff Larson did not, I mean, he kind of buys the pay. Like, why would someone? Like, that's kind of unheard of. Because there was no reason for her to do that. She just did it. Yeah, it's a weird thing to do. Very it, strange thing to do. She's a uh, Lester Nygaard. I can't imagine a scenario in which I hit someone with a car and I don't, like, accidentally hit someone with a car. Maybe if I'm running over someone on purpose, I don't call the police. All right, so Liz G, oh, fuck it. Liz G, I don't... <laughs> A uh, burning question in her mind is whether we would do, like, what type of person would you help conceal a hit-and-run accident? And I was Someone who's got more to lose, like maybe a serial killer accidentally hits somebody. <laughs> well, like, that was my thought, is, like, I, maybe if someone was, like, someone is trying to kill them, and they told me that someone is trying to kill them, and they, like, pulled a gun and they hit him, and they just freaked out and didn't know what to do. But even then, it's like... If your story is accurate, me, go to the police. Like, that's the thing. If she hits him and and she calls the police, I don't think she gets in any trouble whatsoever. Like, he was out in the middle of a road on a dark night. There, there's nothing she could do. It was an icy road. Like, th- she didn't have any malice in that. So, like, I don't, I don't know if she gets any time whatsoever yeah. if she calls the police. Whereas now she's in a shitload of trouble. Yeah, that's the, the, yeah, that's a big problem with the serial plot. Like the one thing that always bugged me is like this Adnan guy shows up to this drug dealer who he barely knows and says, "I killed my girlfriend. Help me hide the body." And he's like, "Sure, no problem, dude." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that just uh, doesn't. Who does that? I uh, I don't know. Oh, I sell weed. I'm afraid to get involved with the cuff. Okay. Yeah, come on. So now you're burying a body. The joints you've got on you are not nearly as <laughs> Jesus. severe. Uh, uh, the, the one thing I noticed about this scene is yeah. Betsy, Betsy seems to be the brains, right? Like Lou is the balls. Betsy is the brains. I mean, Lou's got some brains, but yeah, man, she figures this out. I would out say that they're, fast. they're kind of both equals or they, they probably have a, it okay. seems like they have a pretty solid relationship. Honestly. Oh, cer- certainly. Yeah. And they but I'm have, thinking like, where does Molly get her brains from? Maybe her mom or wh- after seeing this scene. Why not both? <laughs> yeah, I suppose both. <laughs> It takes uh, two to make a stew. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny because I, you know, Molly was tough when it mattered, but she was a lot more timid than I would have suspected coming from this stock. Being hmm. raised okay. by Lou, being raised by her granddad, you know, having her mom, you know, what she remembers, because clearly her mom's not in the picture. I don't, I'm not sure when she died. Yeah, if she I ends up dying remember. by the end of the season or if it's a couple years later. Yeah. Wasn't... One of the quotes that Lou was talking about that story when he was sitting on the shotgun, I thought he's mentioned something about her grandfather maybe protecting her mother and her. So I, I feel like that maybe she'll hmm. see out the season. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but the other thing about the scene is whoever the potentially predatory lesbian employer, <laughs> she seems like she kind of maybe is putting two and two together. Oh, really? You think so? Yeah, and I know that there was some speculation on the forum about perhaps there's going to be some blackmail here, and what is that going to do to the naughty girl Peggy when she gets blackmailed for sex? Yeah, I think to cover we, up this heinous crime. 
I think we talked about that last episode. Like maybe she Peggy might have to swing into action and kill her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Peggy gets out of this and she's wild about the fact that they are putting some of this stuff together. And she goes to talk to Ed. Quick note. Uh, we talked about what's going to happen to Rye. And there is this big pail of ground beef in the window of the butcher shop right next to that crazy pretzel bread hmm. that uh, the bears chomping Mama Gerhardt was 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 forcing uh, yeah, yeah. Dodd to eat last last episode. Is that an association saying that that is actually hunks or rye out there? Because as you pointed out, the stuff you put in the window is probably going to be something you throw out at the end of the day. It's like bad. Meat yeah, the somehow. sun's beating down on it. I don't. I don't I wouldn't personally buy that meat. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that's been sitting unrefrigerated in the window. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's supposed to be him. And again, like forty years ago, I feel like the people as we get old as we f- get further along the stream of time, people are getting more and more obsessed with cleanliness and spoilage and uh-huh. you know, people like throw away milk days before it expires now because it's like when in reality milk is usually good days, if not a week after it's past its quote-unquote expiration date date. yeah Yeah. so i wonder if like maybe Uh, in a very cold climate you could put meat in the window for a day and people would still buy it maybe or maybe they just had shitty quality meat to i don't know so i i really wish they would have given us some hint as to what he did with the ground rye yeah anything a line of dialogue that just said you know uh he put it in his truck and i don't know dumped it in the woods or something yeah, they said they, they they alluded to the fact that it's taken care of, but, but not how. And, and I and, really wanted to know how. Is it in the dumpster out back? Well, like, see, I have this theory in this, that window scene that his mom forced him to eat the bread. I wonder if there's going to be some kind of dark humorous scene where Dodd is, if not forced to, someone makes him, or he's Dodd ends up eating his brother. Oh, okay. Because they put the bread <laughs> right I was next say, to like Jesse Plemons would have to eat. No. Would somehow be forced to eat it. No. Or maybe he gets served that in some kind of thing. I don't know. I, I would love to know what happened to the ground beef. Yeah. Um, Me too. I wish there would have been a line. And I feel like now it's too far past Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> the expiration date of that ground beef Yeah. for us to ever get an explanation. Maybe. Because we don't... I mean, this is still the next day. I don't yeah. know whether ground beef is... Is that ground fresh every day? Or do you cover that? I would I would think it was ground fresh every day. I mean the local so, the local supermarket that had its own kind of meat department had a butcher. They used to do these things the display of ground sausage and beef where they'd shape the ground sausage into a pig. It would have like they'd sculpt it and it had okay. like olives for eyes and whatnot and they'd shape the ground beef into a hamburger. I always wondered as a kid, like, did they do that every day? Or is that like something that they just cover with wax paper and it's refrigerated and the next day and when you get to the head and it's all scooped off, then they make a new one? I I don't know. I I don't know either. I don't know anything about how food's made. Maybe if somebody works in a butcher shop, they could send us We need a butcher. And you also have to tell us whether you have ground up a human body or not and whether you think your commercial grounder (laughs) is capable of grinding up a human body, bones and all. Yes. That's that's what we're what wanting to know. What did he do with the, the head? Butchers. I really want to know these. I, I have burning <sighs> questions here that need answers, and I didn't get any this week. Maybe that's why I'm not quite as high on this as you were, because I have questions that are, are going unanswered. My God, man, there's six more episodes left. I know. Seven. I, I want to know, man. <laughs> I want to know. Okay. Um, we, we talked about Skip a little bit. The only thing I want to mention in, in addition to what we've already said is the fact that he mentions that these typewriters are spaceships, really. Okay. 
for on a and UFO. It's not the only overt reference to no the, the Kitchen Brothers when he was uh, dropping a major deuce uh-huh. came out of the bathroom with uh, a UFO magazine in his hand. Oh, I mean, there's one that's way, way more over it What is that? <laughs> Lou pulls up to the gas station, and the guy talks oh, to shit. him for like oh, yes. 10 minutes about right. aliens. Right, and Lou's like, okay then. Yeah. But that was a weird... I mean, maybe that's maybe that happened when, you know, you have to wait in line for gasoline, you get out of your car, Probably. and people just, yeah. you know, people just sparked up a conversation. But it's weird to start high velocity, rapid fire. What you know, It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I think this is a weird guy. Like, maybe start yeah. the conversation with, a, hey, you hear about them UFOs or them crazy lights? Yeah. I don't know. Minnesota people. Now, are, this guy was clearly not just your run-of-the-mill Minnesotan. Hey, I, I need to apologize to the great people of Minnesota and perhaps Wisconsin, because I habitually was referring to Minnesota as Wisconsin last podcast, <laughs> and and I apologize. That was dumb of me. It's hard to keep track of where they are. It, it's like... In this northern wasteland. <laughs> you know, that we as Ohioans and Indianans perceive a great difference between us and Kentucky, but... You ask someone from California, what's the difference in Kentucky yeah. and Ohio? They're like, uh, there is no difference. It, as yeah, far as I can tell. I've, you know, you're, it's all the same shit that we fly over. So yeah. it's, but yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a Midwestern. I, sh- I should have known better. <laughs> uh, what the else? other thing about Skip. Oh, yeah. Before we leave Skip, I, I want to talk about this scene where they're talking to him in his car, Lou and Ben. Uh, I, I really love how they have this quote-unquote private conversation about whether or not they think he's he's guilty or they need to talk to him Which further is, yeah and and then he just butts into it uh-huh. like like i know you're having this private conversation but i can still hear you and oh yeah, yeah that's a right. good point the guy wanted to let me off the hook it's uh-huh. a real solid point he's making yeah crazy great stuff uh so and also they let him go here squandering their only opportunity to talk to him hmm. because he's dead now like right after this he goes to rye and he gets killed Hmm. Yeah. So now the lead that they would have had if I don't know why Lou doesn't pursue this a little harder. He well, because this is his not his jurisdiction. He's not even the, the right damn state. It's true. He does he say does this the next time when though. they see it, he takes it up and like, okay, let's go see it. And the guy's like, ah oh, no, I'm not getting involved, and he pursues it. But I think he's still trying to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But he is pursuing because he immediately then when they get back goes to the typewriter shop. Well, I I think they just so happen like, to be driving by though. That wasn't like a plan. He's like, oh, look at a typer. Let's go talk to him. And the guy's like, uh. Oh, you think so? Yeah. We okay. just, you know, he, he was not up to anything after this to stand off with the Gerhards. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. Now they won't be able to talk to him at all. No, no, not not at all. He's going to be the angel that they find underneath the parking lot in the Simpsons <laughs> in a few few years. Do you. So let's talk about um the other thing I want to, I guess, I want to mention, Skip, is that Rye's apartment number, his little drug den slash uh, snake pit slash cockpit slash whatever, mm-hmm. his Rye pit, number thirteen. Okay, is that just like the fact that he is kind of snake bit? He's an unlucky, unlucky guy. Yeah. He's just pathetic. I, pr- I don't probably. All right. I don't think there's much significance there. Uh, let's talk about Peggy's dad's plan of how to de- deal with. Uh, damage that an insurance company might not want to pay for and how that's colossally fucked up by <laughs> ed 
Yeah, no, yeah, he uh, ends up, I mean, oh, God, this is such a comedy. I laughed out loud when it happened. Yeah, it's amazing. And then when you go, when you see the next scene and you realize that he did it all again. Yes. But it's like, now you got damage on the front and back, and you guys both are terrible liars. Still terrible and, liars. And they're not even lying. Like, they're right out in the open in front of this tow truck guy. She's talking about how, oh, it's it's crazy that you had to do it twice, and you spun around and hit the back. and Yeah, although I... I I'm inclined to believe that that's a private conversation since he's over there h- hooking well, up. Well, who the knows and... with the way private conversations go in this show? True, true, true. But it's, he's, they're not like a foot away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she so manipulates him and, you know, appealing to his, you know, big strong man instincts to protect her. Yeah. And he says, Oh, I think I got the whiplash. And you just see that little stupid lap belt. <laughs> uh, Frankie R <laughs> pointed out to us that she's driving the Chevy Corvair. Hmm. which was made famous because it was the centerpiece of Ralph Nader's book on the car industry, Unsafe at Any Speed, where he attacks it as saying, you're making death traps, your seatbelt sucks, awesome. you don't have headrest to prevent the whiplash and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, I That's pretty funny. That's a nice little touch. Uh, but he also wonders if Noah Hawley is picking the Corvair to state the inherent danger of Peggy. Okay. Like, this this girl is unsafe in any relationship. Like, mm-hmm. run, Ed, run. The whiplash is the best you're going to get. <laughs> I I agree. He, yeah. She's a scary person, I think. Yeah. I thought I thought it was funny. He said that uh, she, much like the car, is fast and unsafe. She does not have the simple tools that keep normal people from doing something that could endanger herself or others around her. She has no side airbags. She yeah. has no over-shoulder restraint. Um, but, yeah, do you think, is Ed going to make it out of the season alive? Man, if I had to predict right now, I, I'd probably say no. I don't know. He's not so. He's not as smart as like a Lester. Mm. Lester eventually wisens up. I don't know that that Ed has the potential to get smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he seems like a dopey dude just to begin with. So probably not. It's dangerous to these anthologies to try to plug people in the roles because, yes, where it seems that Peggy is the Lester Nygaard of the season, yeah. Lester's Lester's wife was this kind of shrewish character who browbeat him, and Ed's not that. So you can't – there isn't a perfect correlation between, like, Lester and, yeah. and Peggy here. So I, I don't know what that means for him. You know who I was. He's getting a kind at. of an well, but he's not really an innocent character either. I want to say no. he is, but no, he's going into this with his eyes wide open. He's yeah. trying to maintain the lifestyle that he thinks he has and he wants. So mm-hmm. he's pitiable, but not innocent. What are you going to say? Uh, I was going to say Skip was giving me like just severe flashbacks of Jerry Lundegaard in this Ooh. episode, oh. right? Like. He he's talking about how oh, oh yeah the sure. money comes is coming in any day and the, and the way they life have, and death is in the balance here the, and, and just, they they are always talking through big smiles uh huh yeah uh-huh. and no, he sounds the most like him I think sure sure fast well he's getting, sales guy yeah that's the thing I was getting big flashbacks there uh, and the other the other thing talking about characters who seem like other characters man Michael Hogan is doing an impeccable Colonel Ty in this episode <laughs> is he <laughs> I mean the one eye acting from this guy. Is amazing. Colonel Ty had one eye. Does he get his eye? Eventually, yeah. Oh, is that a spoiler? Uh, Sure, it's a spoiler from like season four of that show or something. Okay, well, yeah, I I I I noped out of that show a lot earlier than that. Yeah. Um. What else I want to talk about? How about Bear's relationship with his son, who I still don't know the name of. 
Uh, he wants to help uh, Bear. Apparently, his uh, wife has died, and he promised his ma before she passed that he would keep him out of the family business. It's Charlie. Charlie. Uh, Uncle Todd is mentioned here, and apparently Bear is very sensitive about Uncle Todd uh, getting in here and interfering with the relationship because he dramatically gestures to him with the turkey leg and says, <laughs> yeah. Yo, my boy. I thought that was pretty funny. Just constantly eating this guy. He, well, you know, you got to keep a, a bulk of that size in the winter. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of body mass to keep uh, heated to ninety eight point six. But also, it seems like Bear's son's pretty smart because you know he sees right through the folly of the grandma trying to sell a part of this business. Which yeah, I get all this is guy it's funny by half a car sure. because yeah, Raymond's brother, uh, Raymond Romano's brother, is saying that like a research said that she's going to do exactly what she's doing. She's eventually she's essentially stalling for time and mealy mouthing and going to tell him the fuck off. Uh huh. Uh, what do you want to talk about as far as how Dodd, how, how Dodd's sense of manliness or masculinity is so fragile that that seems like an easy mm-hmm. thing to go after him on? Like, you know, he's, sure. he's the guy slapping around his daughter for embarrassing him, and he's the one that, you know, about draws down on a cop for using a colloquialism about yeah. dancing with girls. Like, mm-hmm. he's, I don't know. After True Detective season two, I'm like wondering if there is uh, if there's something a little sweet to this guy. He's gonna be yet uh, another closet closeted hmm. gay guy. I I don't know. I'm not I'm not seeing that yet. Maybe, but uh, I, I don't know. He's also a scary dude. I mean, in, dude. in that scene with Lou and him uh, at the Gerhardt Estate, I'm first of all. I mean, we've talked about it, but. Damn, that scene is good. Mm-hmm. That's just one of the best scenes. Certainly, that is the best scene of the week, for sure. Uh, you think so? I think him and Mike is better. You think so? Yeah. I didn't. Although, this scene has the, you know, it's like, it starts off tense, because this guy's getting his gun, and Lou's already bristling. Then the mom yeah. shows up, and it's like, gets more tense. Then Bear comes out, it's like, oh shit, it's more tense. Then Todd pulls up, and it's like, oh my god, there's actually going to something go down here. Yeah. No, it it was very tense, but for some reason, I thought the Mike scene was better. I thought there was better dialogue from Lou in this scene. Really? Um, yeah, and it was the the first scene, so it was the first time I had seen him really do anything heroic like this. I, I thought the line about I saw Skip at your mom's house going in the back door to Mike was pretty. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to get better than that. It was, it was pretty good. We're kind of like fuck you and yeah. and your shotguns. Do we know why Bear's arm is in a cast? I don't know. I, I was wondering that too. Okay, because I didn't think. I mean, I all I've seen him do is eat, drink half and half, and sharpen an axe. Like, yeah, uh, and I couldn't remember whether he had a cast on last episode, but he's also tends to wear like a bulky jacket as well. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I don't know if that's going to be if that's just color, or if that's some kind of thing that's going to come out important later. Speaking of Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers, uh. I really love the music, both in that scene mm. and coming out of that scene. Like the, it sounds like someone playing a pot with a drumstick uh-huh. uh, in that scene. Just kind of this rhythmic uh, percussion track, which really adds to the tenseness, the uh, and the intensity of it. No, the music on this show is ridiculous. It's so good. And then when when he's like, "Oh, Mike Milligan and the and the Kitchen Brothers sounds like, like a, a prog rock band," sure. And they come out of that scene with a prog rock track. Yeah. It's like, yes. Perfect. It's it's pretty smart. Pitch perfect there. I love it. Uh, I mean, it's very 
kind of Tarantino-esque in the way it uses these pop culture yes. songs this effectively. And and it's so eclectic, right? Like, and the, But they also have a very good score of its own. I mean, they use the indeed. licensed stuff, but yeah. they have the original music that's that's really good as well. And then the other small note I have is how Ted Danson later on in the episode calls them the Bathroom Brothers. <laughs> Absent-mindedly, he's just like, yes, yeah, why not? What the, those Bathroom Brothers. Sure, the Guest Room Brothers. Yeah. And I love their shotgun slings, too. How they can essentially they they've got Do they them keep at, them under their coats. Yeah, they're they're attached yeah. in some way that they can they're instantly there by their side, but also they hang just out of sight. They're probably illegally yeah. sawed off, but mm. I don't know. You think you could get them on weapons charges? It's the least illegal thing they have going. <laughs> to this day, sawed off shotguns are illegal in North Dakota. Hmm. Hard to believe, but no, that's not true. I actually don't know either way. It might be. I feel like the sawed off shotguns are a federal thing, but who knows. Uh, what else we want to talk about? I mean, we talked I about the skip interrogation, how horrifying that was. He didn't really get much out of that other than Mike Milligan might be involved. Mm-hmm. So now we're seeing that these two guys are kind of on a collision course. Yeah, it seems like everybody is. It's kind of all revolving around Milligan at this point. The cops only have Milligan to go on. Um, Dodd's going to be gunning for Milligan, I guess. But I don't, I mean, that, he didn't learn anything that he didn't know from, I, that's the interesting thing about the scene is like, we learn literally nothing new and neither did Dodd because Lou had already told Dodd about the Mike Milligan connection that he was looking for his brother. This guy, I guess, confirmed it. So maybe that's, yeah, he had enough information to send Hansi off to it, but. There's something on Floyd's face in that scene where Lou, Lou asks them about Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers. Uh. There's something on her face that says, oh, shit. Hmm. Like, I don't know if she knew that Mike Milligan specifically was involved in she that She would have yet. to. Mike Milligan was in her fucking living room last episode. I imagine they at was least... Was he? Ex- yeah, yeah. He, okay. he came out I thought it was the... just Joe Bulo. And... No, no, no. He came out with Joe. Okay. And... Never mind then. Yeah. So I feel like, the, yeah, she would she'd know that. I'm... So she must have been surprised that he knew about Mike Milligan? And that he was kind of onto the business that's going down between. The Maybe two it's shocking crime that like if they've if if they've abducted Lou, then they're these things are moving much faster than she was ready for them. Because like, that yeah. would be that's that's they've already taken steps against the family. I suppose so. So, and I think that's that's why I'm interested in this Rye thing because I see that there's a whole bunch of people with half truths, and they're going to make decisions on those half truths. It's going to make. Oh yeah, everything more violent and exciting later. So I'm, I'm. This is like a Rube Goldberg plot contraption, and I'm, I'm entertained just seeing it unfold. Yeah, I mean, I like it for the fact that it's going to bring everybody together. Yeah, uh, to to have a collision at the end. But yeah, I'm, I'm morally certain that he, they will not find Rye. But that's the setup for next episode. He sends Hanzi, who's a guy who doesn't give a fuck and seems scary as hell, to Laverne to pick up his brother and kill anyone who gets in his way. And he specifically said, I don't care if it's Kansas city. I don't care if it's the police. Mm-hmm. There might be, I mean, it's not Sioux falls, so it's too early for the all out and out bloodbath, but yeah, bad things, bad things coming. seems you like think it. Lou's going to have to draw down on Hansi. Uh, I don't, I don't know why, but for some reason, Hansi seems less intimidating than Dodd or bear at this point to me. He's a lot more restrained. He is, and that can be a, that can be dangerous in its own right. And yeah. maybe he's more intelligent too. But Dodd is Dodd and Bear seem super aggressive. 
And, maybe this and like, is, shit can fly off the handle at any point. Maybe this is my knowledge of the other Indian character in Fargo history, which is Fargo the movie. Yeah. Where this guy seemed, like, very calm and collected, and when he's talking to cops, not phased, and then he just viciously beats the shit out of whatever the guy's name that's played by Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Uh, takes off his... Carl? Yeah. But he takes off his belt and his horse whips him with it, and he's just, just incredibly violent. So it's like, I guess I'm taking that... Yeah, since he seems to be cut from that same cloth. Okay, um, and I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of the, this type of character, and he seems scary to me. Uh, that's all I got to say about the episode. Yeah, uh, me too. do you want to get the feedback? Sure. Mark at Omaha uh, wants to talk about Walter Winchell, uh, who was a. If you don't remember, he was uh, the only reason he's connected to Fargo is when he was tucking himself at, at, bed, at bed in bed at night. Luth mentions to his wife, "Good night, Mr. Salverson, Mrs. Salverson, rather, yeah, and all the, the ships radio at sea." Guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a radio figure, and Mark said his relation to the show would be that he's the announcer for the crime gangster show, The Untouchables, in the 1950s and 60s. Huh. I didn't know that. So that's I looked him up. I only found his radio stuff, not his TV stuff. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting, neat little pop culture connection. Yeah. Uh, Joel H. said, Aaron couldn't agree more with you when you said the Fargo and the Leftovers is blowing The Walking Dead away, even <laughs> with it being so good of late. I yeah. run a few days late with my TV watching, so over the past few days I've been catching up. I watched The Walking Dead first. Good stuff. Then I watched The Leftovers. Holy crap. Sorry, The Walking Dead. You just got downgraded. Then I watched yeah. Fargo and Shitballs on a Stick. This is the pinnacle of the mountain of good TV I've been watching this fall season. Simple question. Is this the best show on TV right now? I have a hard time answering oh, that. Because last time they asked us if it's the best season of whatever show. This time they're asking us if it's the best show on TV right now. I don't know. Leftovers is fucking amazing. I mean, it's. I feel like it's a... I mean, if you want to ha- direct to compare to shows, it's kind of like a prize fight, and it's going to go yeah. ten rounds. One's got speed, one's got stamina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one's, one's got a, one's strength. One's a righty, one's a southpaw, yeah. and uh, we'll know after their episodes are over. <laughs> one's irretractably depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that it's probably likely going to be a rocky situation where it yeah. goes the distance and... You got, you know, maybe a technical victor, but then you could also have a, you know, an emotional victor. Yeah, this one is going to the scorecards. Yeah. It's going to the judges. Yeah, you know, we still got a lot of season left, but uh, I'm high on both of them. After round three, yeah, I'm saying this one's going to the cards. John K. from England said in your episode one podcast, you mentioned Ron Swanson's sort of prophecy. Uh, when he says that this thing's only going to get bigger. You yeah. mentioned that you hope the prophecy carries a good deal of weight in the series, and my theory is it certainly will, and that will actually lay the foundation for the storyline when taken alongside the story the judge tells Rye right before she's killed. She tells him the biblical story of Job, where God and the devil make a bet no matter what awful things the devil torments Job with, Job will keep his faith. Throughout the story, more and more terrible things happen to Job, hence the old, this thing's only getting bigger. I think this sets up a foundation for the story arc of each character in which... Each will be tested in more and more serious ways by a power that seems otherworldly, like the unstoppable evil force that runs throughout the Coen Brothers films and was filled in last season by the character of Malvo. Mm-hmm. And we will see whether they lose their faith, whatever that means to each character. It's also interesting to notice, just like last season, that most of the characters in the show come in pairs. Uh, the two remaining Gerhardt brothers, Lou and his wife, Lou and Ted Danson, Carl Weathers and his sidekick, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, etc., 
so maybe these are tests are going to see if they can be uh, what they're put through will reveal whether they can stick together or break apart. It's also worth noticing that the Cohen's film, A Serious Man, is based on the Book of Job as well, meaning that this could very well be an homage to that. And yeah, Noah mm-hmm. Hawley said, uh, absolutely, this is uh, A Serious Man is one of the, the three pillars. It's Serious Man, yeah. Fargo, and The Man Who Wasn't There yeah, yeah. are the chief uh, influences on this season. He also has a bunch of stuff about the theater of the absurd. Uh, he says, as previous listeners pointed out, most of all the literary works or authors referenced in episode titles are considered existentialist or absurdist. Mm-hmm. The absurdist existentialist philosophy sees people as essentially thrown into a world of chaos and order. With no God and no ultimate right and wrong, there is no external meaning of life to aim towards. Instead, each person has a responsibility to create their own meaning, to judge their own right and wrong, and to find profoundness in the seemingly in- uh, emptiness and disorder. Hmm. As the philosopher Sartre, oh shit, Sartre, I have no idea how to pronounce this guy, Sartre, um, puts it, man is condemned to be free because once thrown into the world, he's responsible for everything he does. It seems to me that maybe these two strands, existentialism and the book of Job, will form the basis of Fargo's world this season, with characters being tested and suffering in seemingly random ways. Uh, some characters will try to use it to gain powder, power, i.e. Kirsten Dunst's character, and some will be unable to cope with the randomness and will lose their faith. What do you think? I think that's a fairly good prediction. Yeah. I can already see shades of that unfolding. And I'm cheating a bit by saying that Lou's going to pass the test. <laughs> okay. Since I, he, yes. He makes it out of the season season two to be season one. He seems like a pretty solid, well-adjusted guy. I think so. Who has a solid, well-adjusted girl uh, that he's raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already talked about Liz G and whether we cover up or conceal a hit and run. <laughs> Uh, Mike B from Denver, Colorado ponders after Ben dropped Lou off at the typewriter shop. How did he get back to his car? Where was his car? I have no idea. I assume it's because we don't ever. Yeah. I mean, this could be somewhere in Fargo, right? This could be downtown Fargo and the courthouse. I'm assuming is in the middle of town. Like it is every other fucking town. And maybe this typewriter is just off the main drag. Yeah. Or maybe Lou just pulls his gun and commandeers a vehicle. (laughs) <laughs> like Starsky, uh, and, Starsky and Hutch style. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go or, out on a limb and or, say no on that. But. Maybe they use the fantastically effective uh, mass transit bus systems that are in these small there midwestern towns. He just yep. took a bus back, or he got a ride with the Kitchen Brothers. There you go. <laughs> he hitched a ride. I, there is no. I, I have no idea spatially. Again, I assume it's tough to keep track on this show. Yeah, where everybody is in the it doesn't really matter. But again, Fargo's one town. It's not a huge town now. It wasn't a huge town then. Yeah, imagine one could walk back to your car. Sure. Um, Barry C references the scene where Lou or Lauren first met Lou. That was in last episode. And he's at the diner, and he's asking about la- where he can find Lester. And Lou answers that uh, about this massacre in uh, Sioux Falls. He says, I saw-, I saw something that year, something I ain't ever seen. I'd call it animal, except animals only kill for food. And then he kind of trailed off, and uh, Lorne thanks him and says, I haven't had a pie this good since the Garden of Eden, which sets the whole devil thing up. Yeah. But Barry says, I remember at the time thinking that Lou was maybe implying that what happened at Sioux Falls might have been Lauren's handiwork. That's something we debated last season. Mm-hmm. In season one, we were talking about Lauren as if he was some kind of unstoppable, chaotic force, possibly the devil. So I always felt that we might see an early Lauren in some capacity in season two. Do you get the impression? Did you get the impression at the time? Do you think it's still possible now as the story seems to be going in a much different direction? 
No complaints either way. I'd be equally happy with either outcome. So we debated this, whether we were going to see the origin of Lorne. Yeah. I'm going to say no now because I don't believe Lou would handle Lorne that way if he recognized him. And if he didn't, and and Mm -hmm. if he met Lorne, then I don't think he would have forgotten him. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I don't know that he necessarily, like, if Lorne is in season two, I don't know that he would have to be uh, acquainted with him. Like, That's true. Maybe he could do the massacre the that, and he's cleaning up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Um, the other thing is, I think it would be super interesting if they brought Billy Bob Thornton in looking just like he did in season one. I mean, that that would tell you a lot about the nature of that character. Yeah, right? I would be instantly, because I was kind of like 51, 49, he's the is devil. Is he the devil, actually? Because yeah. there's just enough things about... Like that would clear up the question, I think. Yeah. If, if he just a... looks like he does in yeah. season one. No, he's the goddamn devil. <laughs> uh, but And I would have said that, like, well, I don't... <sighs> That's probably too a little too on the nose for the, the Coen brothers, for, for their work. Uh, why would it be on too on the nose? Because he's Do br- they ever he's actually say, hey, character. I'm the devil? Like, oh, no, no, no. That kind I, of thing. I, yes. I think if we see a young Lorne, he'll be referenced by name and he'll be a young guy. Okay. I don't think that they'll have Billy Bob. I mean, Same here. I think it would be cool, but, maybe, but not their I style. I think Noah could pull it off, but I'm more yeah. likely he's just going to be a young punk um, yep. behind some kind of atrocity. And, and I don't know. Like, I would have thought no, but then again, this thing's all about Lou, who's already a season one character, and it's got Ben, who's a season one character, and it's the origin of Molly, so I, it would make some thematic sense. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm with Barry though. I guess I don't care because I feel like they're either of those possibilities are interesting, and I could see them pulling it off in a satisfying way. Uh, so I'm I'm looking up Lauren Malvo here. Uh huh. Are you on IMDb? Get off! I no, don't no, be. I'm, I'm on a Wikipedia page. Billy right Bob now. Thornton's credited in episode nine of this season. Well, I'm on, shit. I'm on villains.wikia.com. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you know that the flash forward one year, he's actually a dentist who works in Kansas City, Missouri. I did know he's a dentist. I forgot in the Kansas City, the Aces. Yeah. So there's your Kansas City connection. That's kind of interesting. That's true, but again, connecting we have a, to we've had City. two Fargo crime syndicates that we don't think have anything to do with yeah. each other. Yeah, but yeah, maybe he's, I, I don't know. That's an interesting. Maybe thing to he's think about. the ultimate cleaner that they send after Mike fails, or maybe Mike goes rogue. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I don't know. That's just something to think about. But he didn't work for any individual. He was like just a hitman. Like he worked out of that little office that gave him his assignment so yeah. but maybe that's how he got started like again they're all kind of equally fascinating and i could see them being good either way mm-hmm. i'm with you barry that's all, all right. the feedback we got it's all the show we got yeah that's it if you'd like to send us some feedback you can do so at fargo at baldmove.com and also you can join in our discussions at forums almost at fargo.baldmove.com <laughs> but no it's forums.baldmove.com all right Sounds good. Uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, too. All that stuff. Uh, just look up Bald Move on either of those. You'll find them. We'll be back next uh, Wednesday with another episode of this. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you then.